We look at verses uh, 35 down to uh, the end of the chapter, verse 41. I'm going to title this. The title is going to be Storms Happen. Storms Happen. Mark chapter 4. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 35. Where it says, And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Verse 36, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took uh, him even uh, as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep, asleep on a pillow, and they uh, awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him now in our uh, in this passage today jesus and the disciples are planning to cross the sea of galilee the sea of galilee is actually a freshwater lake sits about 600 feet below sea level it's uh, one of the lowest if not the lowest you know lake in the world it's only about 14 miles long and about seven miles wide it's kind of uh, triangle shaped now, on any given night, they could have, you know, made it across. They could have sailed a road. About three hours uh, is what it would take. Um, now, there's a painting uh, called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's by, by Rembrandt. Uh, it was painted in 1632, 1633, somewhere around there. And it was displayed for years in the uh, art museum in Boston until it was stolen in, like, 1990 or so. Uh, they still don't know where it is, by the way. Uh, so if we happen to see it in somebody's basement or living room, the FBI is still offering about $5 million reward for the return, just uh, if you're looking for something to supplement your budget, okay? But in, in this painting, this uh, tiny boat is tossed and turned by the angry waves, and there are 13 disciples in the boat. I said, well, wait, there are only 12 disciples, right? Yeah, well, there, there's 13 in the painting because Rembrandt painted himself into, into the painting. Uh, he's a little guy. If you look at, look at it, he's hanging on to the rope, and, and he's looking right out at the viewer. He's got his little ubiquitous beret on that he always wore and painted himself in. Uh, right next to him, there's a, there's a disciple who's apparently seasick because he's leaning over the boat, and there's only one reason to lean over a boat in a storm, right? The message I think that Rembrandt was trying to convey was that there were some disciples who were frightened uh, and they, they, they were fighting against the storm and their focus was just the storm. But then you've got some disciples gathered around Jesus and their focus was on the Savior. And I think what the painting is wanting us to, to, to ask ourselves is when we face the storms of life, do we you know, focus on the storm or do we focus on, on the Savior? Well, I want us to look at this passage and, and see if we can pull five lessons at least out of it. Uh, five lessons. The first lesson that I think we can pull from this is, is that you can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. All right? uh, Jesus knew all things, right? And, and, and when he had, you know, he, he said, let's go to the other side, uh, he knew that they would encounter a storm. 
You know, sometimes people who, who know and love the Lord think that they'll, they'll be exempt from this. They think they'll be exempt from, from these kind of stormy experiences. Some Christians make the mistake of thinking that just because they have the Lord in their life, they're going to be immune to all trouble. Like, like oh, I know Jesus now. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. You know, some, uh, some parents think that as long as they keep their kids in church, they'll have no trouble with them later on. And, you know, that's, um, that's not true. We're not immune to trouble. We're not immune to tribulation. We're not immune to problems just because we are close to Jesus. I mean, Jesus was in the boat with them, and the storm struck them. You know, even if Jesus has saved you, you will encounter periods of your life that are stormy. There are physical storms. There's financial storms. Um, Emotional storms. You can't tell which way is up. There are relational storms. And these can strike you suddenly and with no warning. But just because you find yourself in a storm, though, that, that, that does not mean that, that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God's mad at you. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you. I mean, Jesus led the disciples into this storm to teach them to trust him. So don't be surprised when a storm blows up in your life. You might be in a storm now. And, and if you are in a storm right now, you should not be surprised. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, which means we ought to consider the storms kind of a normal part of life because storms happen. I mean, if you can picture that little boat in the storm, wave after wave of water crashing into them over the bow, filling up over the gunnels, and the wind was howling, the thunder crashing. You know, sometimes the trouble comes like that in waves, and and it's just one after another, and you may be between waves right now, but all that means is that another wave is coming. And if that's what your life is like, you need, wait, don't lose, don't lose hope. You know, that's not far-fetched. Um, Amos chapter 5, verse 19, you know, um, Amos is describing something here that says, you know, a man runs from a lion, but then he runs into a bear. You know, it's like, can't get away from anything. Finally, he makes it to his house, leans up against the wall, and a snake bites him. Talk about a bad day, right? Sometimes this happens, and, and life can be tough, and we're not immune to that. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us. All of us encounter storms, no matter how close to Jesus we are. The second lesson is that Jesus permits the storms to test our faith. When the disciples woke Jesus, he immediately asked them two questions. Why are you afraid, and where's your faith? uh, Those are important questions. In the previous chapter, Jesus taught a number of parables about faith and receiving and believing his word. And like a good teacher always does, Jesus taught the lesson and then he tests on the material. All right? And that's what he's doing here. Now, now let's, let's remember what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, that, that even faith is a gift from God. 
So, so if, if faith is a gift, and, and it is, then, then don't judge their unbelief. They're still learning who Jesus is. And if you know someone who isn't believing yet, then pray that God gives them that gift of faith. You realize if, if, if you've trusted Jesus as Savior, if you have faith in Jesus Christ right now, God just handed that to you as a gift. So don't, don't judge them too harshly. See, God tests our faith in order to, to purify, to refine our faith. The Bible says that the the trials will show that our faith is genuine, that that they're being tested by fire, they're being purified as fine gold, and and, and it says that our faith is much, much more precious than gold. And, you know, sometimes life is good, and when life is good, there's no reason to cry, uh, there's no reason to complain, but really that's also not the time your, your faith is tested. Do you realize that? Your faith is never tested when things are going great. Your faith is never tested when things are going the way you want them to go. God tests our faith during the difficult times, when living is hard, when life is trouble. That's when God tests our faith. And there's three main areas that God does this. Uh, There's the pressure test, and there's a people test, and there's a persistence test. Those aren't original, those aren't my idea, but they sound good, right? The pressure test. This, this faith test asks one question. Is how do you handle stress when you're at your absolute limit? How do you react when you're at the point of total desperation, like a pressure cooker building up heat and pressure, and you're about to explode in anger? Are you going to explode or keep the lid on and trust God to take the heat away so things can calm down? Then there's a people test. Sometimes God puts people in your path just to stretch your faith. And he does it on purpose. They rub you the wrong way. They seem to find that one exposed nerve, take a grinder to it, and just play with it. That's what some people seem to be like. They, They aren't hard to love. They're impossible to love. But you have to admit that Jesus loves them, so you kind of feel obligated to try to love them anyways, right? So, so, so how do you handle this test? Do you strike out at them, or do you patiently love them with the love that Jesus gave you to love them with? Then there's a persistence test. This test asks the question, will I maintain my commitments? Or when life gets hard, will I quit? When you're on task for God, there'll be times when you want to give up. There'll be times when you want to throw in the towel. All these external factors will indicate that you should give up. The circumstances say, yeah, there's no point doing this anymore. And the weak person, the person lacking faith, is going to give up way too soon. But the wise person, the persistent person, the faithful person will persist to the end of the commitment. See, the storm is permitted for your benefit to strengthen your faith. The third lesson we see from this is that the storms force us to cry out to Jesus. 
Several of the disciples were fishermen, and I suspect that they tried to do everything humanly possible to batter the storm. And we know in the place we live, there's only so much you can do to fight a storm. Maybe they trimmed the sails. Maybe they pointed the bow into the wind. They started rowing. They started bailing water. But it was very apparent very quickly that their resources were not enough. So they called out to Jesus. And when they woke Jesus up, they said, don't you care if we perish? See, they weren't necessarily afraid of the storm. They were afraid of dying. And sometimes when the storms hit, the first thing we do is run to the worst case scenario. We go to the worst place first, right? And, 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 and you know, this is where they are. They're thinking we're in the ship. The ship is going to sink and we're going to drown. Jesus, don't you care about this? And have you ever thought or said that to God when you're going through a particularly difficult time? God, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand what is happening to me? Don't you care? Well, don't look at me like you've never asked him that. You know you have. Of course he cares. Of course he loves you. He says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's a book that's entitled, uh, actually the title is, No, That's Not in the Bible. Okay. Uh, and one of the chapters that everybody agrees with is that God helps those who help themselves. They understand that that is not in the Bible. Right? But the one chapter that the author often gets question on, uh, questions about or comments on is, is, is the chapter that says, God won't lay on you more than you can handle. Now that is not in the Bible. Now, the Bible says that God will not tempt you above what you can resist in the temptation. But when it comes to adversity, when it comes to trouble, when it comes to storms, God will lay on you more than you can handle. All right? Don't get caught in that lie that God won't, won't give you more than you can handle. He will allow you to be burdened to the point that you realize you cannot fix the problem yourself. And then you'll cry out to Jesus. Now what if the disciples had been saying that? Oh, let's not wake the Lord up. We can handle this after all. God won't put on us more than we can handle. Yeah. It's when life is unbearable that we are forced to cry out to God. See, Paul understood this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul is at one of the lowest points of his life. And, and, and in talking about his, his, his personal life-threatening trials, he says this in verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. He's saying life was so bad, we, we thought about dying. Dying would be better than what we were going through. Verse 9 says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. So you may be going through a desperate time right now. You're at that point of total desperation. You might be wondering, what should I do? The advice is you cry out to Jesus. That is what you do. Now, was, was the storm going to build their faith? Or was, or was believing 
Jesus, when he said they were going to pass to the other side, going to build their faith. It is always, it is always what Jesus says, not your circumstances, that will build your faith. When your faith needs building, you must turn to the words of Jesus. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your circumstances do not build your faith. Your trust in Jesus' words are what build your faith. So when your storm does come, you cry out to Jesus. That's what you do. Lesson number four. Jesus will either calm your storm or he's going to calm you. Okay? I love the fact that Jesus was asleep during the storm. I mean, these guys are scared for their life, and he's taking a nap. He'd had a busy day, all right? Now, now this teaches us several things. First of all, Jesus was, was again, 100% human. 100% God, but 100% human. He got tired just like the rest of us got tired. But we also see that he possessed a very strong sense of tranquility, of, of sense of tranquility because he could sleep. He could relax in a storm, in a boat, filling with water. Right? That's relaxed. Okay? And he was relaxed. See, there were, there were two storms present that night. There was a meteorological storm that they could see happening around them. Then there was the emotional storm that was raging in the hearts and minds of the disciples. They were filled with fear, and fear can be more destructive than any storm. Jesus said, why are you afraid? It's a legitimate question. Your boat's filling up with water. You've tried everything you can do. You think you're going to die. Why are you afraid? That question has an answer to it. We'll see in a moment. After he asked that, you know, he spoke up and the wind and the waves, you know, he just said, peace, be still. It's the kind of words that a mom would use to a crying child. It's like, shh, settle down. Okay. And the Bible says that it was completely calm. A great calm. The word for great is a Greek word, mega. Okay, mega calm great huge calm now, I've, I've never seen weather like that um, um you know not go from from storm to still i mean nobody but them had seen that and you know we we've, we've seen calm weather before right but but never never like this in this case jesus took the storm away but sometimes he doesn't remove the storm. Sometimes he speaks to our troubled hearts and minds. And inside he speaks to us and says, no, peace. Shh. Just be still. Quiet. And when we trust him, then though the storm is still going, we experience that mega calm. We find a peace that passes all understanding. You know, some of you have been asking why God is not taking your storm away, and you've been asking this for a very long time. And he hasn't done that yet, but, but what he is offering is to give you that inner peace in the midst of your storm. And this is the storm that he is riding out with you, and he wants to give you peace. He wants you to trust him. But you know, this, this isn't about having your storm calmed. I mean, that may or may not happen. 
This is about trusting the words of Jesus. Because storms, storms happen. But Jesus' words never fail. And the last lesson. If Jesus is in your boat, you'll make it through the storm. Lesson number five. See, in the midst of the storm, the disciples had forgotten what Jesus said. He said, let's go over to the other side. Now that is key, all right? That is key. Let's go over to the other side. Because once the creator of the universe makes up his mind that he's going to the other side of the lake, there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can prevent him from making it. Nothing could sink that boat. The strongest hurricane in history couldn't sink it. All of Caesar's armies and navies couldn't sink it. The devil himself couldn't sink it. They were going to arrive on the other side because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And Jesus had promised his followers that he, they, they would make it. They would make it through the storm. That means that we will make it through our life. If we have trusted Jesus to save us, no matter how many storms hit or how bad they are, we will make it through to the other side. See, God never promised a storm-proof life, but he did promise that he would be with us in the midst of our storm and that with him we will make it through. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather be, and I mean this with all seriousness, I would rather be in the storm with Jesus than out of the storm without Jesus. All right, Because any place Jesus is, that is the safest place to be. See, the lesson of the storm is simple. It's profound, but it's simple. Jesus never promised us a smooth ride. Never did he promise us a smooth ride. But he gives us a guarantee for a definite destination. He told those disciples, let's go to the other side. With Jesus, they would make it. And with Jesus, we will make it. Now, let's see if we can wrap this up. The greatest maritime disaster in all of history is uh, undoubtedly the sinking of the Titanic. April 15th, uh, 1912. Right? It, was, it wasn't storm that sank her. It was just an iceberg that nobody was paying attention to. But it was also the hubris of the, of, of, of the shipbuilders. And it was supposed to be an unsinkable ship, and really that's all she's known for. One of the crew members commented to a Mrs. Sylvia Caldwell as she boarded, God himself could not sink this ship. And I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of picturing in my head, God says to one of the angels, hold my coffee. Yes. All right. now, now we all know the tragic story, how there weren't enough lifeboats and, and the life jackets were in bad shape, 1,500 people perished, but there's part of the story you may not be familiar with. The Titanic had been built in Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, after the news of the sinking, the people of Belfast took to the streets. And there was, I mean, just abject weeping and mourning and grown men hugging each other in the streets, weeping bitter, bitter tears. See, the ship sank on a Monday. And the following Sunday at Derry Presbyterian Church, there was great sadness because 16 members of that church, the men, they, they were working as engineers on the ship, and they had drowned in the North Atlantic. 
So the little church was packed to overflowing, and, and, and the pastor, Andrew Smith, was his name. He chose to preach on this very passage, Mark 4, 35 to 41, and he made an amazing statement to that grieving congregation. He said there was only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable. It's a little boat occupied by a sleeping Savior. Then he added, the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are hearts with Jesus inside. Did you notice the last thing that the disciples asked Jesus? Or really, they, that they asked themselves about Jesus. What, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, that's a pretty important question for you to answer. Who is this man? See, they became terrified of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was almost too, I mean, Jesus is too much for some people. But we, we, we need a Jesus that is too much for us. We need a Jesus who is, who is bigger than we first think he is. You know, we, you shouldn't have to be begged to follow Jesus. We shouldn't have to plead with you to come to church, to tithe, to serve, you know, because this Jesus controls creation with a word. With a word, he stilled the wind and the sea. How can you not give him everything? Jesus said that they would pass over to the other side. Bad storm comes, seems to threaten their lives. Jesus was asleep. Why? Because he knew because he determined they would make the crossing. Uh, they woke up Jesus. Jesus kills the storm. He dampens the inertia of the water. And you've got to understand what it means for a great calm. Now it's one thing for a storm to pass. And this, it takes a while for the sea to calm down. No, it went from a raging storm to a bowl of jello. That's our Jesus. That's, that's who was in the boat with them. Jesus rebukes their lack of faith. Now, now where was their lack of faith here? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's no lack of faith to think you're going to die in a bad storm, uh, is it? I mean, their, 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 their lack of faith was, was, was in not believing what Jesus said. Their lack of faith, I mean, Jesus said, we'll go to the other side. They didn't believe him. In a little while, there's going to be another storm. Jesus is going to send them over by themselves. But he's going to tell them, I'll see you on the other side. And Mark's account of that story says that Jesus would have walked by them and left them in the storm. Now, what does that mean? It means when Jesus says, you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. It doesn't matter what happens in between. If Jesus says you're going to make it, you're going to make it. See, now they're terrified. But they're not terrified at the storm, which is now gone. They're terrified because of Jesus and his power. Who is this guy that can do this? 
See, when Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to make it to the other side. No matter what happens in between. See, you, 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 need, to get, you, you need to understand this. They all could have napped that night if they believed what Jesus had said. But look, look, life, life is going to get stormy. You know it will. It has already. It may be happening to you right now, but no matter how bad it gets, no matter what storms arise, no matter what you're going through, if you have Jesus as your Savior, you will make it to the other side because Jesus said you would. See, this is not so much about Jesus calming the storm. This is about 12 men who did not believe what Jesus said. They are rebuked because they did not believe the words of Jesus. Now, your reaction when the storm comes will reveal to you if or not you believe the words of Jesus. Storms. Storms happen. What are you going to believe? Stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, we want to thank you for this account in your word, and we thank you for uh, replacing it here for us and giving us just enough, uh, just enough detail that, that, that we can learn from it, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, that we do, we do understand it. I mean, it does show your power your absolute control over creation it does show that but lord you you sleep in in the back of that boat shows us that there is power in your word as well oh lord work in us that we trust you work in us that no matter what circumstances are 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 taking place in our life that 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 if you say it lord we can trust it Lord, if we could just get that, that we can, tr- we can place our life in the power of your word. Lord, this morning, just help us to get that. Lord, for anyone this morning that has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus as, as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would draw them. Or they have no protection from the storm. They have no protection for the end of their life. They have no hope and no help outside of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal their sin to them. I pray that you would work in them, that they repent of that sin, turn from that sin, change their mind about it, and come to faith in Jesus. Pray, Father, you'd glorify yourself this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you come ahead?